Father in heaven, our request this morning is simple. We pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to take the words that are spoken and to send them home to our hearts. May we be receptive, Lord, to what you have in store for us both this morning and throughout the rest of our time together worshiping you on this, your Sabbath day. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer and for answering it because we pray it in the merciful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Lilius Trotter was a young lady who was raised in a privileged home, one of great wealth. And in her early 20s, her mother took a few of her paintings and brought them before the great famous art critic John Ruskin for him to examine and take a look at. When Ruskin saw the paintings of Lilius, he was moved to his core, and he begged her to let him launch her career as an artist. He believed, he told her, that she would become one of the greatest living painters and do things that would become immortal. This type of stuff is intoxicating for young people when they hear it. But there was a catch. Not only was Lilius raised in a wealthy home, but she was raised also in a God-fearing home. And the catch that Ruskin told her is that she would have to give herself completely up to art. For a, a day or so, Lilius was just enthralled with her prospects of becoming a great artist that would make paintings that would become immortal. But the more she thought about it from a Christian perspective, the more she became uncomfortable. And then she penned these words. She said, I see clear as daylight now. I cannot give myself to painting in a way he means and continue to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I believe that there are young people here at Heartland that have the same mentality. So Lilius turned from pursuing her career as an artist and gave herself wholeheartedly to the Lord in his service. And in fact, if you were to go in search of her paintings, you will not find them hanging in the great artist galleries and museums in the world. You actually have to ask they are filed away in an obscure museum in Oxford, England, and to see them, you would have to ask to be able to, be, to see them. But she lived the, four, the next four decades of her life as a pioneer missionary to the people of Algeria in North Africa, meeting people who had never seen a white woman before. For Lilius, the Gospel Commission 
was transformative in her life. But I'm going to tell you another story. A young girl by the name of Lillian Trotter, 23 years old, she was engaged to her sweetheart. He was a young minister who was getting ready to launch his ministry career. And one day she went to listen to a missionary from India share about the work that was being done in far-off lands, and her heart was moved. As she contemplated the work that needed to be done in other parts of the world, she felt the calling of God pulling strongly upon her heart to go and serve in Africa as a missionary. Well, she shared this with her now fiancé, the call that God was giving to her to go to the mission field. And he did not share that same call. Ten days before they were to get married, Lillian Trotter broke off their engagement because she had to obey her master's command for her life. 23 years old sold all of her earthly possessions, sailed to Alexandria, and founded an orphanage in Egypt and worked there tirelessly for 50 years, never married. She became known as the mother of the Nile and was given the opportunity to form the lives of some 25 thousand Egyptian young people who were orphans. For Lillian, for Lillian Trasher, the gospel commission was transformative in her life. And as we hear these two stories, and there are countless others, I could just go on and on of various missionaries who've done the same thing. We think, what a sacrifice they have made. Reminds me of a statement from David Livingston, the great explorer missionary of the interior of Africa. He said, if a commission by an earthly king <clears throat> is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? Somebody ought to say amen to that. Amen. Prophets and Kings, page 719, says, from no sect, rank, or class of people is the light shining from heaven's throne to be excluded. The message of hope and mercy is to be carried to the ends of the earth. Last night we looked at this passage in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus said, The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Let me tell you something this morning. And it may be stating the obvious, but the devil knows that the harvest is plenteous. And he's doing everything he can to keep the laborers to be few. But it's our God-given responsibility. It is our divine marching orders that come hell or high water, we will move forward in sharing the gospel to the far reaches of the world. Amen? There are... Millions of faceless individuals who have never heard 
the gospel of Jesus preached. And Jesus tells us to go. To go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And not just go to make them better people. Not just go to make them healthier people. Not just go to make their lives more comfortable and to supply their needs. But to break before them the bread of life. The three angels' messages that God has given us in Revelation, the 14th chapter. And brothers and sisters, as wonderful as the one or two or three week mission trips are, God is looking for people who will be like Lillian Trotter and Lilius, uh, Lilius Trotter and Lillian Trasher, who will go and spend their lives ministering to people in the far off distant lands in what some of us might, be, might consider as hostile regions of the world. There God has his children who need to hear the everlasting gospel. Now let me be quick to say that the short-term mission trips are needed. They transform my life and they are transforming the lives of many young people as they go and they see what the world is like. There they feel that call to go into the mission field. But we need more workers that are not just working here in North America, but that are going to the distant lands. As we saw in our illustration last night, working among those who are unreached. It is abysmal statistic that one out of ten missionaries are working among the unreached people. We work as though this is going to be our home forever. What's that old song? This world is not my home. I'm, I'm just... Passing through. Have we overlooked the blessing in the Bible that Scripture tells us that it is more blessed to give than to? In North America, we have become intoxicated with receiving more and more information. Sermon after sermon. Sabbath school class after Sabbath school class. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do those things. We need to do those things. But we don't want to stop there. We get so that we can give. Because one who gets and does not give becomes stagnant and what Revelation 3 describes as a Laodicean Christian. Of course, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 is not the first time that God called his people to be a blessing to the world. We find this invitation numerous times throughout Scripture, even in the life of Jesus and his ministry with the disciples. As Jesus invited Simon and Andrew to come and follow him, he told them that he was going to make them fishers of, right at the very beginning of their ministry. In um, Mark chapter 3 and verse 14, Jesus, the Bible tells us that he commissioned the 12 disciples that they might be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. And then again in Mark chapter 6 and verse 7, the Bible tells us that he called the 12 to him and began to send them out two by two. God is a sending God. What kind of God is he? He is a sending God. Again and again throughout the Bible we find that God calls people to him. He blesses them and then he sends them out. 
Again and again we see this and you look at the book of Acts and you see the book of Acts is pregnant with this concept of people who had been blessed by the ministry of Jesus and could not contain themselves no matter what came their way, whether it was persecution, whether it was accolations, no matter what happened, even if they didn't have the money to supply their needs, they were not going to let anything stop them from spreading the good news that Jesus was coming soon to take us home. But I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Verses 1 through 3, and we find here a passage of Scripture that, in my humble opinion, is foundational to the gospel commission that we are so familiar with. Genesis chapter 12, we go back to the father of faith here, the great patriarch the great prophet Abraham. And in verses 1 through 3, Abraham, who at this point is still Abram, is having a close communication with his heavenly father. And the Bible says this, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country. And from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will show thee. And I will make thee, make of thee a what? Great nation. Listen to this. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a what? God blessed so that his descendants could be a what? A blessing. They were blessed To be a blessing. The Bible goes on, verse 3, and God repeats himself. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be. And brothers and sisters, that prophecy or that promise is being fulfilled this morning. Amen? Amen? God is blessing his people so that they in turn can be a blessing to all nations, kindreds, and tongues. In my humble opinion, this is foundational to the Gospel Commission. But I want you to notice something that takes place, and we're going to just kind of trace some history here. And if you want some good reading this afternoon, you probably won't have time because you're going to come to all of the other programs. Amen. No taking naps this afternoon, right? But if you want some additional reading, uh, I would encourage you to go to the book Prophets and Kings, chapter 59, the House of Israel, largely uh, the quotes that I will be sharing with you this morning have been taken from that particular chapter. There's some very interesting things in there that you may want to read through. But this is from Prophets and Kings, page 703. It says this, this promise, the one that we just read in Genesis chapter 12, of blessing should have met fulfillment in large measure during the centuries following the return of Israel from the land of their captivity, that is, from Egyptian captivity. It was God's design that the whole earth be prepared for the advent of Christ. What were they supposed to do? Prepare the earth for what? The advent of Christ, the first coming of Christ. And then she goes on. Even as today, the way is prepared for his second coming. 
Okay, so the, 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 the Jews, after their Egyptian captivity, their, their, their goal in blessing the world was to prepare them for a specific event. It wasn't just to make them good people. It wasn't just to make them comfortable people. It wasn't to make them better sinners. But it was to prepare them for what? The coming of the promised one. Sounds similar for us today? It hasn't changed over the centuries. It's just shifted in the event. We're not preparing people for the first coming of Christ, but by God's grace, we are preparing people for translation into the kingdom of heaven. They were blessed abundantly to be a blessing to others. Now, suppose with me, if you would, that you had something very important that you wanted to give to a loved one. Maybe they are in need of some specific thing and you want to help meet that need. And so you get a box and you package that thing up in that box. You write a nice little note and you stick it inside there. And then you take it down to the man at the FedEx store and you give him the address, the return address. You stick it on that box what do you expect that man to do with your blessing in a box? Right. Now, what would you think if that man took that box home, opened it, took it out, and kept it for himself? What would you think? Would you be happy? Now, you blessed that man because you paid him to do that. But you didn't pay him or bless him to keep it for himself. Brothers and sisters, we're FedEx employees. And God blesses you morning by morning. God blesses you Sabbath by Sabbath. God blesses you from one class to the next. God blesses you abundantly day after day as you seek his will. Let's be good FedEx employees, if you will, and take that blessing to the world. There are people who are in need of what God has given to us, and we don't want to keep it to ourselves. Now, this morning, I want to quickly outline for you two traps that the devil tries to catch us in to keep us from fulfilling this gospel commission. To keep the prayer of Christ, to pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that he may thrust workers out into the field. There are two traps, there are probably more, but two traps that I want to share with you this morning that I believe the devil has specific, specifically designed to help keep that fulfillment or that prayer request from being answered and the gospel going to the world. The first trap that the devil caught Israel in, and it's also a trap that I believe he catches us in as well, is the trap of worldliness. What is that trap? Worldliness. worldliness. It didn't take long after their uh, release from Egyptian captivity and ultimately their settle in the earthly Canaan, their possession that they had received, for Israel to start flirting with the nations around them. And as you chronicle this history throughout the Old Testament, you find that it got to the point where uh, the, 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 the uh, Israelite worship 
was so transformed that it no longer looked like the worship that God had outlined for them to participate in, but it actually looked more like the pagan systems of worship. We find this outlined in Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 16, where Ezekiel sees in prophetic vision God's people at the house of the Lord with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, worshiping the sun as it rose out of the east. They became so enamored with the customs and the rituals of the people around them, that their worship had been transformed. That worldliness had derailed them from the commission that God had given to them to take the gospel or to prepare the world for the first coming of Jesus. Can you all see that? Until the Bible tells us that these people that are defined as the people of God actually made the the name of the Lord profane among the nations. Lord forbid that we would do that. The reality is, brothers and sisters, that the press of worldliness is all around us. And I don't need to drag you through all of the gory details on this. But every day we are constantly bombarded with the temptations to compromise, the temptation to obtain the American dream, the temptation for wealth, for position, the temptation with entertainment and immorality. The press of worldliness is always around us. And when that press of worldliness comes to you, it is a devil's attempt to try to derail you from being the witness that God has called you to be. By God's grace, we won't get sucked into that trap. We could talk long and hard about ways that we can avoid that, and I'm sure those types of sermons have been preached here once before. But I want to talk to you about this second trap that I believe is probably one that we more easily get sucked into. And it's the trap of isolating ourselves from those who need to be reached. Now, those of you that were here last night when we did the illustration, we had the reached and the unreached. When we uh, divvied up the missionaries, where did most of the missionaries go? They went to the reached, right? In that illustration, we begin to see how this trap of isolation is actually starting to play out. There needs to be a more even distribution of the workforce, and we'll talk more about that in just a few moments. But as Israel went and were sucked into worldliness and immorality... God had to do something to get them back. And so we find them going back off into their Babylonian captivity for some years. As they came out of that Babylonian captivity, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah wrote in Zechariah chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Just jot it down in your notes. He said this, talking about God, it's talking here. He said, and I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And it shall come to pass as ye were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you. Somebody ought to say amen to that. And ye shall be a blessing. Aren't you glad that we serve a patient God? Time and time again, he works with us. 
We, we get going in the right direction and then boom, we get derailed and we start going someplace else. And God works around and he brings us back to where he wants us to. And then boom, we get derailed again and he brings us back around again. We serve such a loving Patient, patient and concerned God who is constantly working to use us as a conduit of blessing to the world. Just brought them out of Babylonian captivity. I will use you, he says, to be a blessing. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 705, says this. By Babylonian captivity, the Israelites were effectually cured of their worship of graven images. Sometimes God has to bring us through persecution to refine us. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. After their return, they gave much attention to religious instruction and to the study of that which had been written in the book of the law and of, in the prophets concerning the worship of the true God. There was a revival There is a reformation that took place. They came back to the Bible and the Bible standards, the good old gospel, and they began to apply those things in their life, worshiping God the, uh, the way God intended them to in this great reformation. Listen to this. The seasons of prosperity that followed gave ample evidence of God's willingness to accept and forgive. Listen. And yet, with fatal short-sightedness, They turned again and again from the glorious destiny and selfishly appropriated to themselves that which would have brought healing and spiritual life to countless multitudes. What did they do? <clears throat> they sat on their blessings. If you were to attend their worship service and compare what they were doing to the word of the law, you would see that there was an agreement between the two. They were following, at least to the best of their ability at that time, the teachings of God's word. There was a revival that took place. And as that revival began to take place, God's blessing began to be showered down upon them. And as God's blessings were showered down upon them, what did they do? They kept it to themselves. She continues. The chosen people did not become the light of the world, but set themselves away from the world as, listen to this, don't miss this, but set themselves away from the world as a safeguard against being seduced into idolatry. Do we want to become idolaters? No. Do we want to be seduced by worldliness? No. What I'm suggesting is there's two sides of the ditch here. There's, there's two ditches. Right? And so the one side was worldliness, being caught up in idolatry. They fell into that ditch. And so now God trying to bring them back on that path to bring the gospel to the world, of Christ, to prepare the world for Christ's first coming. In so doing, they wanted to stay as far away from pos as possible from idolatry. They didn't want to be affected by it. And so they separated themselves from idolatry, and listen to me carefully, and from all the idolaters. Now let me ask you a question. How are they going to prepare idolaters for the coming of Jesus if they are separating themselves from them? 
It's the trap of isolation. She goes on. The restrictions which God had given were so perverted as to build up a wall of partition between the Israelites and all other people, thus shutting from others the very blessings which God had commissioned Israel to give to the world. Worldliness, isolation. We are to be in the world, you've heard it said before, but not of the world. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, that's not a balance that you can do on your own. There is no way in the world that you can keep that balance without the help of Jehovah. That's why morning by morning God's people need to be found on their knees. Committing their lives to God. Take me, O Lord, as holy thine. I lay all my plans at your feet. Use me today in thy service. Abide in me and let all thy works be wrought through me. And as we commit ourselves to God morning by morning, then we are able to keep that balance. To be in the world, but not of it. Unfortunately, Israel fell into the second ditch, the ditch of isolation. They didn't talk to Gentiles. They didn't spend time with the Gentiles. They considered them lost and unclean. In short, brothers and sisters, they did not love the Gentiles. They thought that they were the only ones that were worthy of being saved. And so they isolated themselves from the people that God wanted them to go to. So what would God do? Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. God's plans are not going to be frustrated by human beings. He will accomplish his purpose. The question is, is, am I going to walk to the beat of his drum or am I going to walk to the beat of a different drum? Whether it be worldliness or isolation. Now, It's admirable that we do not want to become like the world. That is admirable. We do not want to become like the world. But we don't want to isolate ourselves from those people. Go with me in your Bibles to our scripture reading, Matthew chapter, sorry, Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11 again. I found this gem of a passage. I've read it once before, but it didn't make the impact that it did on me like it did a couple of weeks ago. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11. And it just thrills my heart whenever I read this passage. Malachi, the Old Testament prophet, in the context of what we have just learned, he says this. From the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. Let God's people say amen. Amen. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen. saith the Lord of hosts. Doesn't that thrill your heart? God's God's name is going to be great among the heathen, among the unreached, among the Muslims, among the Buddhists, among those people who are so far away from God right now. God's name is going to be great among them, and God wants to use you to make his name great. What a great privilege we have. To be representatives of our heavenly 
king. Well, how would God accomplish his purpose? Listen to this. I'm just continuing to read from Prophets and Kings, the same chapter there, chapter 59. She says this, that which God purposed to do for the world through Israel, the chosen nation, he will finally accomplish through his church on earth today. What church is that? Well, according to my Bible and your Bible, according to Bible prophecy, God has one distinct remnant people in the last days. And God wants to use the Seventh-day Adventist church to take this gospel to the world. God, what he could not accomplish through Israel, he will accomplish through his church on earth today. And I want to thank the Lord that there are many pre-Adventists that have sacrificed the life the cares of this world to take the good news of Jesus to the world. Those are our brothers and sisters. They don't bear the tag, Seventh-day Adventist, on them yet. But I believe that as they sincerely follow God into the mission field, that God will sincerely lead them into the truth. Whether that mission field be here in North America or in the far-flung parts of the world, God will Fulfill Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11. He will fulfill that through his people on earth today. So how are we doing? Well, Seventh-day Adventist Church, as many of you already know, we are in 213 of the 235 nations recognized by the United Nations. That's something to rejoice about, isn't it? Amen. You know, I oftentimes use this in my Bible prophecy seminars that we are to be a global movement. God's people in the last days will be a global movement. And truly, the Lord has blessed us in that regard. The gospel is being taken to these different parts of the world. But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. Just because we have a presence in the country does not mean that the work is finished there. In many of these countries, the work has just begun, barely just begun. According to statistics, we have almost 21 million members in this great movement of people that God has raised up, this movement that he loves so much. And for this, we can truly be grateful for. But I think we can do better. According to statistics, there are 10,000 people groups who have yet to be reached. How many? Ten. Th- there are 17,000 people groups. 10,000 of them are considered unreached. That comprises 41% of the earth's population, many of whom have not even heard the name of Jesus. My heart goes out, I remember, I believe it was at a GYC or something like that, when I first learned about the Middle East North Africa Union, MENA. So I listened to the stories by the president at the time, Homer Tricartan, and the, the appeal that he was making for tent makers to go into these parts of the world where official missionaries cannot go. My heart was moved. 
And just recently, I went back and I started crunching some numbers that I thought you might be interested in. In North America, well, let me start with this. MENA, the Middle East North Africa Union, has 558 million people. Okay, so it's a large territory. In North America, we have more ministers than they have members. We have more ministers than they have members. According to what I can find from the statistics that have been published online, there are 283 denominationally paid employees in that territory of the earth. We have over 4,000 here in North America. Actually, no. If you include all of the employees, it's over 118,000. Middle East North Africa Union comprises some of the largest cities in the world, like Istanbul, Turkey, with 15 million people. The country of Iran is part of this union with 81 million people with no known Adventist presence. There's two ditches that the devil has devised to try to keep this prayer of Jesus from being fulfilled. From the Gospel Commission from being fulfilled. William Borden once said, he was a missionary himself, if ten men are carrying a log, nine on the little end, and one on the large, very heavy end, and you want to help, which end will you lift? I'm thankful that our ten missionary volunteers that came up in our time together last night, they could see this. They didn't go where there were lots of workers. Where did they go? They went to the unreached because there weren't as very many people over there. There was a vast need for people to work among those who are considered unreached. I think it's time for us to help those that are carrying the heavy end. What do you say? Now, my Bible tells me, and we're going to wrap this thing up now. In Revelation chapter 7, and I want to end on a good note here. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, where we find the seal of the living God, talking about the 144,000, of course, in that chapter. But then John sees something in prophetic vision that I can't wait to see for myself with my very own eyes by God's grace one day. Verse 9, John says this, And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues that stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Amen? Amen. One day this thing is going to be done. The gospel is going to go to all parts of the world, to every nation, kindred, tribe, and language. The, the gospel is going to go. And one day you're going to get the privilege that if you are faithful to follow God's calling in your life to fulfill that commission. And remember last night we talked about, I don't know what that looks like for you. Only God can tell you what that looks like in your life. But as you pray through that and you seek God's leading to show you where do I fit in in fulfilling the gospel commission. Lord, am I on this ditch of worldliness or I'm in this, this ditch of isolation? Where am I in this thing? Help me to see clearly so that I can fulfill 
the prayer request of Jesus to eject workers into the field. One day, if we are faithful to that calling, we will be in heaven and we will see this multitude. What a day of rejoicing that will be. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. When you get there and you see this, I don't care what suffering you have to go through here on this earth, it'll be worth it. Amen? Amen. In Cairo, Egypt, there is an overgrown cemetery that is filled with American missionaries. It's off to the side, down an alley. Most people don't even really know where it is. Nobody is tending to it, but in that cemetery, there is a tombstone with the name inscribed on it, William Borden. William Borden was a young man who was privileged to be born into a family of opulence, very wealthy, and he was to inherit all of his family's fortune. And upon graduating from high school, his parents decided to give him a high school gift, a high school graduation gift. And that gift was to travel around the world and see the different places. How would you like that for a high school gift, graduation gift? And as Borden, in his 18, 19 years old, traveled through Asia and the Middle East and Europe, As he saw the need in the world, his heart was moved. And he wrote back home to his parents that he was going to commit the rest of his life to taking the gospel to the world. One friend remarked upon hearing this letter that he was throwing away his life as a missionary. The million dollar or millionaire Christian missionary, William Borden, died in Egypt at the age of 25. His chosen destination was China. He wanted to work among the Muslim people in China. He stopped in Egypt so he could learn the Arabic language. And while he was there, he contracted spinal meningitis and was laid to the grave at a very tender age. However, before leaving this world and going to his place of rest. During his time as a student at Yale, he inspired hundreds of young people to give their life in service to the Lord. It is said that on the back of William Borden's Bible, that right before he died, He wrote two words, no regrets. This is a man who gave up millions of dollars, high-paying jobs, a prestigious position in the eyes of the world. He died in death, had a funeral service that was attended by just a handful of people, and is now buried in a cemetery somewhere where the weeds are taking over. No 
regrets. It's inscribed on his tombstone, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. God's church was designed for one purpose, missions. Signs of the Time, December 9, 1886, in closing, she says this, the mission of the church is to save souls. As much as we love convocations, this is not our mission. As much as we love being trained and going to training institutions like this, I'm thankful for Heartland Institute. It's not our mission. This institute is here for one purpose, and that's to train people for this mission. The mission of the church is to save souls. Jesus was about to ascend on high. He pointed to the harvest field. He said to his fathers, go, sorry, he said to his followers, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary of China, he said this, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. It is a command just like the Ten Commandments are a command. It's not negotiable. Every person is called to be part of this great gift of taking the gospel to And so, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you again this morning, as I appealed to you last night, that you would pray earnestly and that you would say, Lord, where do I fit in on this? Where do I fit in on this? And don't let your age, your physical limitations, your financial limitations, don't let anything like that stand in the way of what God impresses you to do. Because his bidding is your enabling. And if he calls you, he will provide for you. It does not mean that it will be a road full of roses and that the path will be easy. But I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. When you get to the end of the path and you're standing before the throne of God and you see those people there who you have won to God, who God has used you to win to him, it will be worth it. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. And as we pass through, we need to take as many people with us as we can. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your patience with us. Lord, it's so easy to get comfortable in our lives, our comfortable homes, our comfortable churches, comfortable jobs, comfortable cars thought of being around people who are strange and dress different and talk different and act different makes us uncomfortable. But Father, I thank you that you sent your son and that he was willing to go on the greatest of all mission trips to a world that was uncomfortable. To die on a cruel cross the creator of the world to redeem fallen humanity. And Father, I pray that we would be willing 
to take up our cross and gladly follow in the humble footsteps of Jesus. Lord, I pray for each person here today that you would reveal to us where do we fit in in fulfilling this commission that you've given to us as a church. Are we prayers? Are we financial supporters? Are we foot soldiers? Father, have we fallen into one of these two ditches? Reveal these things to us, Lord, because we want our light to so shine that others may see Jesus in us and desire the same for themselves. Father, thank you for each precious person who is here today. I pray that you would bless us, Lord, as we continue to seek your will for our lives. For we ask it in the merciful, loving name of Jesus. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.